we tend to be a people that is enamored with, with leadership. Um, if you go into any bookstore, local bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, um, Borders, which I know is closing, so you don't really have an opportunity to go there much anymore. But if you go into any, any bookstore and you go to the leadership, or to the section um, that, that contains leadership books, books on leadership, you will, you will notice that there is a plethora of books. There are shelves upon shelves upon shelves containing everything you could ever want to know, learn, understand about leadership. Not only is our culture saturated with books on leadership, but we've got conferences on leadership. We've got coach, leadership coaches and leadership seminars and degree programs. You can, get, you can get your degree in organizational leadership. We love thinking about leadership and, and discussing it and evaluating it. So most of you know good leadership when you see it. Others of you can really care less. As long as you're not the one that's leading, you're okay. As long as you're the one that, that's not leading, you're okay. You, you could care less. You just like to follow. But even those of you that, that, that simply can care less about leadership, you typically know good leadership when you see it. And because we are so adept at leadership, it is easy to spot corrupt leaders. Leaders who are governed by, by their pockets and their power and their authority. This is an awful thing when we see it in the world, right? With leaders like Joseph Kony or the late um, Kim Jim Il. But corrupt leaders in the church should not be so. But oh, how often do we see it? So-called shepherds that are supposed to be leading the flock of God, shepherding them toward God, leading them away from sin, toward truth. But too often we see these shepherds scattering the flock, scattering the sheep, leading them away from truth, leading them away from God. In our text this morning, Jesus confronts the religious leaders of Israel and exposes these these so-called shepherds, grounding us again and solidifying for us just how different King Jesus is. The religious leaders that Israel had known were going to be in stark contrast. They were going to be very different than this leader Jesus, who was now ushering in his kingdom. Last week, we had an opportunity to look at Jesus cursing the fig tree and and turning over the tables in the temple. We learned that Jesus was seeking to establish a new order. He was breaking down the corrupt worship structure of Israel, the worship structure that we saw in the temple. He was condemning the corrupt practices, the segregated worship, and the blasphemous activities that were going on in the temple. What was supposed to be a place of worship had become a den of robbers, a breeding ground 
for sin and for corruption. So Jesus goes throughout the temple and he is there. He is turning tables, disrupting and rebuking the the money changers in the temple. And the reason he is doing this is because his time has come. His time has come in a matter of days. That temple that Jesus is walking through, up turning over tables, casting out the money changers, that temple in a couple of days is going to be null and void. Israel's system of worship would be completely turned upside down, turned on its head. Jesus is going through the temple, disrupting things, shattering the traditions that were were going on. This is radical stuff. This is amazing stuff. This is serious stuff. And I, and I hope you see what Jesus was doing here was not normal. Jesus' actions in the temple, turning over the tables, driving out the money changers, would have caused quite a stir. It would have been all the buzz in the temple. Remember, you remember last year when uh, President Obama was standing before Congress and giving a speech. And you remember the congressman, right? Who, who, who yelled out, you lie. You remember that? And it caused all this, this stir. No matter what you think about Obama, at that, at that point, that, that man, he, he, he had a lapse in judgment. He didn't realize, and you could see it on his face as he said it. He was like, oh, did I just, did I just say that? He didn't really mean to say it. So in this moment, in this moment of confusion. He was, the stir that he had caused, he was taken taken back. Not Jesus. Unlike the congressman who may have had a brief lapse in judgment that day, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing as he was going through the temple. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was calling out and pointing out the sin of the people there. And he had his sights set on the religious leaders, the political structure that was in Jerusalem. So the account in Mark, the account in Mark chapter 11 picks up where we left off last week. Or the next day, Jesus is walking. He is walking through the temple. This is... This is a day after he has turned over the tables. And I guess the scribes, the high priests, and the elders that are known, that were known at the time as the Sanhedrin, I guess overnight they got a little bit of confidence. They, you see, they were scared before, the day before, when, when Jesus overturns the tables and he is in the, in the temple, he's teaching about himself and, and about his kingdom. Mark tells us that the scribes and the elders, high priests, sought to kill him. But they were afraid of the people. They were afraid of the people because they were astonished at his teaching. But as they contemplate the the implications, the implications of what Jesus has just done, they say to themselves, uh, uh, we need answers. By, by what authority is this man doing these things? We need answers. We, we, we've, got, we've, got, we've got some um, confidence now. Let's go and question him. 
So as Jesus and his, his disciples are, are walking through the temple, a contingency, contingency made up of the high priests and the elders and the scribes, they, they, they come up to Jesus and they approach him. And they want to know who has given him this, this authority to do these things. Who has, who has given him the power to do these? This is their temple. This is their jurisdiction. We have authority here. He is not one of them. They are the leaders of Israel. Where do you, where do you get off turning tables, Jesus? And, and while we're at it, where do you get off healing the sick and the blind and casting out demons? Where do you get that authority from? Where do you get the authority to forgive sins, Jesus? Where do you get this from? Jesus is not flustered or caught off guard by their question. He, he's not. He is not. Now, now, some of you are saying, instead of, instead of responding, right, he, he asks a question. He returns their question with a question. Now, some of you are saying, well, why didn't he just shut it down right then and there? Why didn't he say, I'm the son of God. I am the God man. The father in heaven gave me authority. Now you guys can go on your way. Why didn't Jesus just say that? Is he stalling? No, that's what, that's what you and I do, right? So when somebody asks us a question and we return that question with another question, what we are doing is saying, I don't really know the answer to your question, but I'm going to ask you a question so I have time to think about how I'm going to answer your question. That's what we do. That's what I do. So now you know in Sunday school, when you ask a question and I return to you with a question, I'm just thinking, I don't know the answer. And by God's grace, it'll come to me after you answer my question. Right? That's free. Now you know. The secret's out. (laughs) The secret's out. Not Jesus here. Not Jesus here. Jesus is not stalling. He answers their question with a question to reveal their motives. He's revealing their motives. That's what Jesus' questions, that's what his questions always do. They are always seeking to reveal the motives of the people he is talking to. Why do you call me good? He said to the rich young ruler. What would, what would you have me to do for you, blind Bartimaeus? Who do people say that I am, disciples? Why do you fear disciples? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? His questions, Jesus' questions were always seeking to expose motives. Jesus' question is going to expose the corrupt motives of those who had been tasked with leading Israel. Those who had been tasked with caring for and shepherding God's people. So he says to the, 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 the Sanhedrin, the, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, he, he says to them, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Answer me. Oh, our Lord is, he is brilliant. I mean, this is game over. Checkmate, you know, Jesus won. 
Chief scribes, Pharisees, zero. Jesus wins the argument right here. He shuts it down. And we see that because Jesus is revealing the corrupt motives of these men. And corrupt, ungodly leaders always have wrong motives. Their their desire, their care is never for people. It's only for their good. Desire is always for their gain, to please themselves. They're consumed with power and authority, and they use that authority to oppress and to, to lord it over people. Corrupt leaders never want to hear the truth. They never want to hear the truth. And so these, these scribes and these, these, these um, um, chief priests and the elders, they, they come to Jesus. They, they seem as though they're seeking to want to know the truth, but they really don't. Jesus exposes their motives. He shows that they really have no intention to know and to find out by what authority he is doing these things. They are really only interested in keeping the authority, the power, and the influence they think that they have. You see, if they answer the question and say that John's authority was from heaven, then that means that Jesus' authority is from heaven. Because you do remember what John the Baptist said, right? He said that he is not the one. He has come to point to the one who is far better than him, the one whose shoes, whose sandals he is not worthy to untie. And so they couldn't say that would be a problem if they were to say that John's baptism was from heaven. That would mean that they would need to listen to Jesus, that, they, that his in, indictment and his judgments on them was true. It would also mean that Jesus' authority would supersede the authority, their earthly authority. So here they are conflicted. They're confused. They couldn't say John's baptism was from heaven, but they also couldn't say that John's baptism was from man. They couldn't say it was from man because that would cause them to lose favor with the people. All the people believed that John was a prophet, that he was indeed sent from God. And so this is just revealing that their their motives are impure. It's a lose-lose situation for for the Sanhedrin. It's a lose-lose situation. And so they're contemplating how are we going to answer this question? And the best they can come up with is... We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is awful. This is awful. They knew the truth. They knew who Jesus' authority was from. They knew it. Truth, truth was staring at them right in the face, but they failed to open up their mouth. They failed to acknowledge it. Like the, like the wicked King Herod, who knew that John the Baptist was speaking truth. He, they knew it. He knew it, but he failed to acknowledge it. And what happened to John the Baptist? His head was chopped 
off, cut off. Here are the Sanhedrin's standing before absolute truth and they fail to acknowledge it. They fail to recognize it. Oh, brothers and sisters, there is a good lesson in there for us. When, when truth confronts you, when it comes to you, when the word of God comes to you, heed it, listen to it. Don't be indifferent. Don't say, I don't know, when you really do know the truth. That's what these corrupt leaders were doing because corrupt leaders, sinful leaders, never want to know the truth. Jesus exposes the sinful motives of Israel's leaders, those who were supposed to be leading them in worship, leading the people of God in worship, The ones who you would think would be the ones to be able to recognize truth. The ones who would be able to recognize the Messiah. Now, sinful motives. Ill motives. But Jesus was not just, Jesus was not revealing, just revealing their their ill motives in this confrontation, but he is going to expose the wicked hearts and begin to illustrate the lengths they would go to promote their sinful intentions. So Jesus tells them this parable. He tells them this story to illustrate their sin. Now, parables are oftentimes difficult to understand, right? It's easy to misinterpret, to misunderstand them, but with the parable of the talents, that, that is not the case. This is, a, this is a clear parable. The scribes, the elders, and the chief priests would know exactly who this parable is about. That's why Mark tells us in verse 12, we see that in verse 12, he says that when they heard this illustration, when they heard Jesus telling the story, they sought to kill him because they perceived that it was about them. Jesus was talking about them. So they sought to kill him. They were upset. They were angry. Well, well, what did Jesus say in this parable that would, that would get them and make them so upset and make them so angry? Jesus is revealing to them the wickedness of their hearts, their plans. A pronouncement over the leaders in this parable is devastating. He exposes to them to, to what he has been telling his disciples all along, all along that Jesus, that he was going to the cross and it was going to come by the hands of sinful men, but also according to the preordained plan of the Father. Let's take a look at the parable that Jesus records for us here. Jesus says that a man planted a vineyard, a vineyard, and he put a fence around it and he, and he dug a trench and, 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 and set up a wine press with the expectation that that vineyard, that vineyard would produce fruit. It would bear fruit. Now, your minds, if you were here last week and perhaps you're just a studious Bible student, your mind should go to Isaiah 5, the reference that we used last week where God said that he planted Israel like a vine. He cleared away the rocks. Isaiah 5, you go there on your own and read it, where where God says that I will plant Israel like a vine, and they are to bear fruit. 
to produce. But that's not what happened. We learned in Isaiah 5 that that's not what happened. They, they didn't produce the fruit that Jesus was speaking of. And like we learned last week in the object lesson of the fig tree, they didn't produce the fruit. But I want you to notice here, I want you to notice in this parable that Jesus is not, his, his main concern is not that the vine didn't produce fruit. That's not his main concern. His concern is those who were set to watch over the vine. Those leaders, the leaders of Israel, we see that when Jesus says that a man, the man who planted this vineyard, set at least this vineyard to tenants, to farmers, and left for a far country. Well, these tenants or farmers were supposed to cultivate this vine, cultivate this vineyard so that it would mature and produce and, to bear, and bear fruit. And like any faithful owner, Jesus goes on to tell us that the, vin, the, the, the owner of the vineyard, the faithful vineyard, a uh, faithful owner, goes and, and seeks to re- get a return. He's, he, he's looking for fruit. That's what, that's what his expectation was. He wants, he wants to know how it's doing. And so he sends some servants. He sends some servants on his behalf Not one servant, not two, not just three servants, not just four and five servants, but servant upon servant upon servant, he he sends to this vineyard, to these tenants to collect on the fruit that he was expecting. But each time the the servant that Jesus, that, that, that that the owner sends meets the 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 tenants, the farmers, they are killed, they are beaten. They are mocked. Oh, this is an awful thing. The people hearing the parable, listening to this parable, would have been like, off with the heads of those, of those tenants. Perhaps now would be a good time to identify who represents the characters in this parable. The owner of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard that we see is God. We learned that from Isaiah 5, right? He is the father. He is, he, this is God the father. He planted the vine. He, he, he set up the vineyard. He owns the vineyard. And the vineyard is Israel. This is Israel. God's people who were tasked, who were expected to bear fruit. The tenants, the tenants, the farmers that we see in the parable are the chief priest and the elders and the scribes. These are the leaders of Israel tasked with with looking over and caring for this vine, the people of Israel. But then we see that there's these servants that God sends, that the owner sends. Who are the servants? These are the prophets, right? These are the prophets that we we read about in the Old Testament, Moses and, and Malachi and Jeremiah. Isaiah, these are the prophets that God would send to this, his people. Now the, the San, Sanhedrin would have quickly realized and recognized what, who, who were the characters in this, in, this, in, this, in this parable. They would have quickly understood that. And then, and then Jesus deals his first blow, his, his first indictment when he brings in 
The servants. The servants that this owner sends. This is an indictment on the the leaders of Israel. This is an indictment on the Sanhedrin. The tenants, the farmers of this vineyard were supposed to receive the servants, the prophets. They were supposed to receive them lovingly. They were supposed to receive them as though they were the owner, as though this was the owner coming to them. But instead of receiving them lovingly and treating them kindly and dealing with them justly, they beat them and they kill them. Oh, this is, this is a corrupt, these are corrupt farmers. These are evil men. Self-seeking, perverse, wicked men. Oh, these tenants, these tenants, Jesus telling the story would have been looked at as the lowest of the low. Could they, why, how could they do this to the servants, to the owner's servants? Brothers and sisters, here is Jesus looking in the eyes of the scribes, of the chief priest and the elders of Israel. And he's saying, you're the tenants. You're the corrupt, evil farmers. Because God sent to them prophets, you see. He had sent prophets to them over and over and over again. They were his representatives. They were coming to check on the fruit. They were coming to expect the fruit, the fruit that God had expected the people of Israel to bear. But instead of receiving these prophets, as though from God, they mocked them. They beat them and they even killed them. You read throughout the Old Testament about the prophets and you see what an awful death they received at the hands of their own people. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. I send you prophets, wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. This was what happened to the prophets. Jesus said, oh, this would have been a clear, this would have been a clear and and, and convicting indictment on, on the leaders, on the Sanhedrin. The scriptures that, that these scribes and that these chief priests and these elders were, were, were fond of keeping and, and would have been so familiar with. Jeremiah talks about corrupt shepherds that scatter the flock. They would have been familiar with those texts. That those texts, Jesus is now saying, those texts are speaking of you. They're speaking of you. Jesus tell, is telling them that they are the correct corrupt farmers. They are the ones that beat and killed the servants. And all along, God had been gracious to them, sending them prophets, sending them messengers. But over and over again, instead of receiving them, they reject them. Brothers and sisters, there is enough here to condemn the leaders of Israel. There is enough here right now to condemn them, but Jesus is not done. He's not done. The, the three times prior, 
where we see Jesus telling the disciples about his upcoming death, right? His death and resurrection. He, meant, he, first, he first mentions that he would be turned over to men. And at that point, we wonder, well, well, what men? What men? But the following times, he mentions these men. He says that they're the, they're the scribes and they're the, they're the chief priests and the elders. That that's whose hands he is going to be condemned by. Well, Jesus is before the ones he was speaking about. And he, at the end of this parable, delivers the ultimate judgment on the corrupt, ungodly leadership that is plaguing and tearing down Israel. He illustrates the love of this owner, the love of the father. His mercy to Israel is when he says that the owner, after sending multiple, multiple, multiple servants to the people, he decides that he's going to send his son, his beloved son, his beloved son. Of course, of course, they will respect him. They, they, they will receive him, of course. He is my son. Not so, with these, not so with these wicked farmers. They even reject him. He came to his own and his own received him not. They kill this son. They kill him and, and they throw him out of the vineyard. What wickedness, what, what audacity of these, of these awful farmers. But the owner would send his own son to them. They kill him. They throw him out of the vineyard. No regard. No regard for the owner. And then the crushing blow. Jesus, Jesus is talking about his, his pending death, of course. His pending death. This is what he has been predicting. And he was making it clear to the people of Israel. He was making it clear to the people and to the leaders of Israel that they would be the ones who would turn him over. That they would be the ones that would turn him over to death, ultimately to murder, to kill him. Oh. And then Jesus asks a question. He says, what will the owner do? What will the, what will the owner do? Jesus, Jesus answers his own question. He's not looking for a response from them. He answers his own question. And he says, he says, the owner, he will come and destroy the tenants destroy them and give the vineyard to others. Oh, do you see why? Do you now see why they were upset with him? That they were so angry that they wanted to kill them, kill Jesus. He had just systematically dismantled their system of worship. He dismantled their political and religious leadership structure. And these men who thought they were the cream of the religious crop, 
We're not now going to be blessed by God because of all their good deeds and all their wonderful knowledge. They weren't going to be blessed by God, but they were going to be destroyed by God. Oh, this is a devastating blow. This is a devastating blow. Corrupt leaders have no place in the kingdom of God. They have no authority. They were wicked, sinful men. Second Chronicles tells us this. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Okay, so now I know most of you have checked out, right? This is, the, this is leaders. This is here Jesus speaking to leaders. I'm not a leader. I'm not an elder. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a leader. What does this have to do with me? Brothers and sisters, God is still sending messengers to you. He's still sending servants and telling you that you need to repent. He's coming and he's, he's sending messengers to inspect the fruit, to gather the fruit. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't harden your heart. Don't be like these wicked tenant farmers who rejected the messengers of Jesus. Who sought to kill them. Who sought their own agendas. Who were so enthralled with their own power. With their own authority. That they didn't understand or want to receive the love of the father. The love of the owner. Here is God sending prophets upon prophets to Israel. And they don't understand. They don't see how loving this is. And, they, and, then, and, then, and then God sends them Jesus, his only son, his beloved son. And they too reject him. Oh, may not, that not be you this morning. May that not be you. Jesus dismantled Israel's structure, their whole worship structure, their whole leadership structure. But he was at the same time, he was at the same time establishing a new system, a new leadership structure for which he was going to be the head. He was now going to be the leader of Israel. He was going to be the leader of the church. It's true that in a couple of days, Jesus was going to be headed, handed over to those corrupt men. The, the ones that he had condemned in the temple that day couple of days, he's going to be on a cross. He was going to be mocked, spit upon, and, and crucified. Buried in a tomb for three days. 
But as he assured his disciples, he said that he was going to rise again in three days. And here he alludes to it. He alludes to that in our passage, in our text. He says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is a reference to Psalm 118. This is, a song, this is a reference to Psalm 118 when they were building Solomon's temple. There was a stone that they cast aside. Or they said, we don't need it. They rejected it. But here it is a picture. It is a foreshadow of the coming Christ who would be the cornerstone of the church, the head of the church. Jesus is the capstone. The one upon whom God's church would be built. He would be the head. Worship was now through Christ. The church was now built through Christ. He's given the vineyard to others. The Gentiles are now allowed in through Christ. Oh, this is wonderful. And you see that this is all according, according to the foreknowledge of God. Verse 11 says, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. You mean that, that, the, that the sun coming and being rejected Is that marvelous in our eyes? This is what Jesus is saying here because this was the Lord's doing. Yes, the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders were corrupt. Yes, they rejected the Messiah. Yes, they turned Jesus over to be killed, but it was according to the foreknowledge of God because he was seeking to redeem a people for his glory. And so he sent his beloved son, his beloved son to the vineyard so that he might lead and be the vine by which God's people would bear fruit. The question is, do you, do you, do you recognize Jesus's authority? Right? The, the chief priests and the elders come to him and they asked him, by what authority do you do this? They know the truth. They know who, who Jesus' authority is from. The question to you this morning is, do you know and recognize Jesus' authority? Do you know that, 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 that Christ being rejected, being crushed, being killed was the Lord's doing? Or have you rejected the truth? Rejected the love of the owner? Brothers and sisters, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. The truth comes to you. Do not harden your heart. The owner of the vineyard will judge. He will judge. He will destroy those who have not bowed the knee. Don't reject his messengers. Don't kill his servants. 
For those of you who have bowed the knee, I know that you're here too. And so I want to speak to you. There are those of you that are part of the vine who are in the vineyard. How reassuring to know that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He has become the cornerstone. Jesus came and dismantled the corrupt leadership structure of Israel and established that he is a shepherd who leads his people in truth. He leads them in truth. He's not seeking to to turn away from the truth. He leads the people in truth. He does the will of his father. And this shepherd, this shepherd leader, he lays down his life for the sheep. He is a good king. He is a loving shepherd. And so those of you who are his sheep, here's my exhortation to you. My exhortation is the same as God's was to Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. Listen to him. He's a good leader. He's a great king. Oh, he's a loving shepherd. No corrupt, no corruption here. No sin. Listen to him. Do what he says. Oh, continue to share the gospel. Continue to go forth, being obedient to this leader we call King Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I can't do what you can do. I realize and I'm aware of my inadequacies and my inabilities, Lord, to communicate your word. But I thank you, Lord, that it is not my words that count, but it's your words. That apart from Holy Spirit doing a work in the hearts and in the minds of your people, we're helpless. So I pray, Lord, even now, that you have softened the hard heart of the sinner among us. they would have heeded your truth. That you are the loving God, the owner of the vineyard, who has sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin. Oh Lord, I pray that they would heed that truth. Lord, for those who are here that are yours, help us, Father. Help us to listen to you, to listen to your son, to know that all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to you. That we might listen to him, Father. Listen to Christ. Help us this morning, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.